When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Film Spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. If you're looking for comedy, Kristen Wiig, Annette Benning, and Matt Dillon star in Girl Most Likely, available on demand today before its DVD release. In the mood for horror? Watch Abigail Breslin in the haunted house thriller Haunter, available on demand during its theatrical release. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on cable. The Art House is now in your house. This episode is also brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over a million high-quality video clips, Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 25% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use offer code SVU1013. From New York City, this is Film Spotting Screaming Video Unit. I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. And coming up on this week's show, Hell Hath No Fury Like a Woman Covered in Pig's Blood. That's right, Matt becomes a woman in the high school locker room while I cackle with glee and throw feminine hygiene products in his face. They're all going to laugh at us as we review Brian De Palma's Carrie. Yeah, they're all laughing now, but just wait until that dreamy Tommy Ross asks me to the prom. Then I'll show them. I'll show them all. <clears throat> anyway, later in the show, we'll bring you cue shots where we recommend some titles you can rent or stream or scream at home right now, all centered around a common theme inspired by Carrie and Halloween. We really only had one choice this week. Yes, that's right. We're going to talk about the movies of Amy Irving. Ah! Anything but that. No, no. Oh, I'm sorry. That was an old draft of the script. Excuse me. We changed it. Okay, here we go. So this week on a spine-tingling special episode of SVU, uh, we're going to talk about the movies adapted from the writing of author Stephen King. <laughs> but first up is opening break, a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies on Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight a few notable films new on demand. Allison, what are our picks this week. Well, first up, we have a film that is now available on VOD that is A Hijacking, which is a Danish film written and directed by Tobias Lindholm. It's his second film. Uh, he also co-wrote the screenplay for Thomas Vinterberg's The Hunt um, with, with Mads Mikkelsen. So, uh, and he also is one of the writers on the really good Danish political drama Borgen. And this show uh, Look at you. stars this show star this this film stars several actors from the show, including the two leads, one of whom is a cook on a uh, on a ship that gets taken over by Somali pirates, and the other is the uh, the guy in the boardroom trying to negotiate for their release. Okay, and who does Tom Hanks play? Yeah, um, this is interestingly, you know, that is a similar story based on a true story. Right. In that case, right, Captain Phillips. Fi Captain Phillips is yes. an action film. This one is very suspenseful, but it is almost entirely based on talking. It even kind of skips the whole hijacking itself, and it cuts back and forth between 
the ship as negotiations drag on and on and on. And the boardroom, you know, in which someone's like over a phone trying to talk them down from how many million dollars uh, is a ship worth? I see. So uh, what's interesting about this is that they kind of present that you can't just, when dealing with Somali pirates, you can't just give in to their first demand. You need to barter. I see. Because if you said, if they said $5 million and you're like, okay, take the $5 million. Yes. They'd be like, well, actually. Did I say five? Yes, I meant five hundred. Yeah, exactly. And so you have to bargain or at least that's what the guy who's helping them who's okay. the expert okay in negotiation says uh and so this takes days and days and things mm. drag on and they run out of uh food on the ship and uh you know the situation's tense and then you know on the side of the the pirates their main uh translator is not a pirate he was this guy who was kind of brought on so as as they try and kind of lean on and kind of pressure the guy they're speaking to, right? The main voice of the pirates. Mm-hmm. There's a kind of added level of weirdness in that he's not a pirate himself. He doesn't want to be there, and so uh, it's like it, it kind of the movie sets up a parallel between the first time we see the the guy on the corporate side. He's making a business deal and like negotiating with these Japanese businessmen. And it does, it's not dissimilar, right? Except the stakes are completely different and much more complicated. When it comes to communication side, we normally bring an outsider in. This is my company. It's my ship. It's my crew. It's my job to bring back my man. Baby, listen. You call the company. Tell them to pay or they're going to kill us. But it's it's a really interesting movie that that really leans on a different kind of suspense than you would expect when you hear Smalley Pirates, right? And and it does it it does kind of show, position the whole thing as negotiation, which it is. It's you know it's a very lucrative business, piracy these days. Right. Captain Phillips is going to get a, a big release, and uh, this is an interesting alternative, and that takes a very different approach. So that's a hijacking. It is now available via VOD. Available on November first is As I Lay Dying. This is actually one of two James Franco directorial efforts on VOD. The other is Sal, his film about Salmonea, which is available now. Uh, this film, As I Lay Dying, is an adaptation of the William Faulkner novel, which is a kind of notoriously tricky one to bring to screen. It has 15 narrators. It's very stream of consciousness. It's about the burial of a mat- matriarch of a family named Abby Bundren. Um, Franco co-wrote and stars in this adaptation. Never one to you know shy away from from putting himself in his projects as well. Which it should be said that this uh, this film, which premiered at Cannes in the Uncertain Regard sidebar, is experimental, particularly in it uses split screen for much of the film, and oftentimes the same sh- like the same setting basically, but like maybe two different camera angles. Okay. As as one reviewer, I was I was reading different reviews of this. One person said, as with many Franco directorial efforts it feels kind of academic and maybe also like it belongs in a video installation rather than as something you watch in a linear fashion Mm. but 
There you go. It's uh, so you can't uh, you can't say he's not prolific, uh, or you can't call him. No, lazy. you cannot say that. You could <laughs> say it, but you would be wrong. You would be very wrong. And one more pick. I haven't seen this film yet. I've really been looking forward to it, so I'm happy to see it's on VOD. Available November third is Museum Hours. Uh, this is a film directed by Jem Cohen that is one of like I think the best reviewed films of the year, if a very small release. Uh, Jim Cohen, known for video installations himself and experimental documentaries and music videos, but this is a more traditional feature. It's a film about a security guard in an art museum in Vienna, played by Bobby Summer, who befriends a Canadian woman, played by Mary Margaret O'Hara, when she's in town visiting a sick relative. Um, it's also about kind of watching people look at things in the museum, including, you know, an art historian who's kind of showing people how to look at a painting. And I thought A.O. Scott wrote about this really well. And he, he wrote, Museum Hours seems to wander and ruminate, collecting stray moments and fleeting impressions that gradually, and perhaps only in retrospect, snap together to reveal an intriguing pattern of emotion and significance. Watching the film is not really like looking at a painting, but the way the art historian looks at Bruegel has something in common with the way Mr. Cohen instructs us to pay attention to the world. So uh, that's one that, you know, it's gotten a lot of praise and uh, it sounds really interesting. Museum Hours, currently available on VOD. Allison, we are very pleased to have Shutterstock.com back with us as a sponsor of SVU. And at Shutterstock.com, you'll find the perfect video for your next creative project, whether it's for your website, advertisement, multimedia presentation, or other type of film project. You can choose from over a million high-quality stock video clips, 2D animations, and 3D motion graphics. They have clips in a variety of digital formats, and most come in HD. Shutterstock sources video clips from around the world and puts them at your fingertips. Many contributors to Shutterstock are professional filmmakers, and they add 12,000 video clips each week. So every time you visit, you'll find something new. Shutterstock gives you the assets you need to bring your creative projects to the next level. And they make it easy with sophisticated tools so that you can search and drill down by category, clip resolution, contributor name, and more. And as you find the video assets you're looking for, you can save them to a clip box. And then you can access your selections anytime and share them with other team members. Shutterstock has flexible pricing, and you can choose between individual clips or video packs and download clips in HD or save with standard definition or web formats. You can try Shutterstock today by signing up for a free account. There's no credit card needed. You just start an account, start using Shutterstock to help imagine what your next project could be like, and save video selections you find to your clip box. Once you decide to purchase, use offer code SVU1013 and new accounts will receive 25% off any package. That's Shutterstock.com, and for 25% off new accounts, use offer code SVU1013. We thank Shutterstock for their support of film spotting SVU. fair to call Stephen King adaptations a genre because they span many genres, but there's certainly enough that there's, they form their own subset of films. Stephen King is an incredibly prolific writer. James Franco has nothing on Stephen King, <laughs> but uh, his films have been adapted by some amazing filmmakers and by some that we've never heard of. 
and they span genres from, you know, the prison drama to some famous haunted house or haunted hotel horror mm-hmm. to uh, kind of like thrillers, uh, psychological thrillers, yep. you know, to whatever Hearts in Atlantis de- is. <laughs> I I'd never bothered to look at the plot for that, but I'm assuming it's something, you know, a little watery eyed, uh. a little, little, you know, tissues. Uh, but you have everything from, you know, The Shining and The Shawshank Redemption, which are both available on Hit Bliss, by the way, to Misery, uh, which is on Amazon for rent. To Maximum Overdrive, his directorial debut, right. which is available for rent on Amazon, Voodoo, and Sony, if you dare risk it. Mm. Uh, do you have any particular favorites from his uh, his his lengthy uh, list of like adaptations? His, uh, the books? Uh, you've never read the books, Well, that was what I was going to say. No. I'm, no. I, well, I'm illiterate, so I choose not to read. I am not what they call a reader. Especially if it doesn't have pictures, you know, like, so comic books are okay, because I can just scan the pictures and sort of intuit what's going on. But books are not my friend. So, no, I've I've read one Stephen King book in my life, and it's his book on writing, which is fantastic. I think it's just called On Writing. It's a great book. Very highly recommended. But I don't know. I just never – I never got into reading him as a a kid when most people do. And uh, I just haven't gotten around to it, even though I know some people who love Stephen King. So in terms of the books, yeah, I, this is an interesting subject for a podcast for me because I'm a complete Stephen King neophyte, novice, innocent, knave, whatever you want to call it, because I've never read any of his fiction books. So I only really know his work as the subject matter, of, as the basis for for some some very good films, some terrible films as well, and some very good films. Interestingly, uh, if you're asking me, Mike, my favorites, I mean, my favorite would probably be his least favorite, which is The Shining. He hates the movie version of The Shining by Stanley Kubrick because, in his mind, it's not a faithful adaptation. And frankly, and granted, now I've never written a book, so uh, my opinion on this is simply as a as a film viewer, film lover, not as a writer – but I've always cited, in this case, on the side of a film, not on the, the side of the, the writer of the source material. If you make a good movie, a movie that I enjoy, then you've made a good ap- adaptation. That's always my rule. I don't care if it's faithful or unfaithful. I don't care if, uh, if Stephen King doesn't think that Jack Nicholson was you know, too crazy to play Jack Torrance or whatever it is. To me, the movie is good, and The Shining is, is a great film. It doesn't really matter to me anyway. I don't know how you feel about this. No, I would also point out that he, you know, arranged to have the TV miniseries, the TV miniseries that was more faithful to his vision and that he wrote the template and brilliant. Right, for. And uh, I don't think that anyone is like, finally, someone has done the shining rights. You know, maybe he did. Or, and maybe there's someone out there. I would love to hear that I mean, argument. Look, he is by, he's by all accounts a great writer. You know, has written some of the defining books of the last, you know, 20, 30 years. But when he goes, Jack Nicholson, feh, Steven Weber, <laughs> then I think his, his movie-making taste is somewhat, or TV-making taste, is somewhat suspect. Yeah, well, I, I think something that you see, he, he can be a great writer. He can also be a writer who's completely out there. If you, that's the true. More, he's, you that's know, true. He's, he's made some weird one stuff. Of, well, one of the things that's really admirable he about him is the way that, is right, just the way that he... It seems like he'll have an idea and he will run with it. Even like, especially in the short stories, which have been made into some of the weirder Stephen King adaptations. Mm. You know, there you can just see that he he had this, like, looked at something, had this idea, and fleshed it out enough to make you know a short story. Uh, I I think that 
you know, sometimes that seed of an idea is enough for a movie as well. You have read some of his books? Yeah, I've read... Uh, You've read a lot of his books? A fair amount. I think a fair amount. It's been a long time since I've read one, but what's yes. the What's your favorite book? I always really like the short stories. Because the short they're very, stories. I, you know, they're like giant collections of short stories. He's, he's okay. done a few, but they always are showcase some of the weirdest ideas like okay. i don't remember what it's called but that he wrote a whole short story about a very long finger coming out of a drain and attacking a someone. finger a human finger yes like a many jointed human finger you know and just weird weird ideas like that where you're like, <laughs> like most people would have discarded that as the basis of a story uh but he did he not. did not he wrote a short story about it the one only other thing i'll say in a general sense before we move on to our picks is you know looking over the list of adaptations the movies that have been made out of his stuff it's interesting because i see all these films and their subjects and granted yes there are some some that are a little stranger and uh, off the beaten path and you know thing you already mentioned shawshank redemption that is certainly unlike a lot of it's you know that's not what we think of when we think of stephen king books or stephen king movies although it certainly is one it's it's not the stereotype of supernatural you know horror fantasy kind of stuff of the stereotype it was interesting to me looking at them as a group how many of them reminded me as a comic book reader of like comic books but much darker it's like instead of like you know, bitten by a radioactive spider and becoming a superhero. It's like bitten by a radioactive spider and then succumbing to like incredible horror as you turn into a spider and it's the worst nightmare you've ever had in your life. <laughs> or like, you know, uh, you get psychic powers. There are a lot of superheroes with telepathy and telekinesis. Uh, there's X-Men like that, you know, and they're superheroes. It, that's a common like sort of power that people get in Stephen King and it never works out well in a Stephen King book. And that it's like, you know, horror nightmares like that. He, he, he sort of takes like origin stories of superheroes and turns them into horror. You know, it's like I thought that was sort of interesting that, you know, it's sort of like the same basic materials of a superhero thing, but just twisted into a nightmare. I should point out uh, before we move on just two quick things, which is that uh, the Shawshank Redemption is one of four novellas in one book, three yeah. of which have been made into movies. Mm -hmm. The book is called Different Seasons, and it yielded Shawshank Redemption, Apt Pupil, and Stand By Me. Right. There's only one in that book that uh, I do not think has been adapted Was yet. it the finger one? It was not the finger one, okay. unfortunately. <laughs> Too bad. I can't, what a great idea. I can't wait until, <laughs> until someone gets their hands on it. It's yeah. going to be great. And then I, I did also want to mention that uh, his most recent novel, Dr. Sleep, yes. is a sequel to The Shining. A sequel to The Shining. All right, well, let's get to our picks on that note. <laughs> yes. You have uh, your first pick ready, Allison? I do. Uh, my first pick is my streaming pick, and okay. it is Pet Cemetery, which is currently streaming on Netflix and is a 1989 movie. It's pretty 80s as well. It's pretty much of its era. It's so 80s, in fact, that director Mary Lambert, uh, it's her second film, is best known, was best known at that point for directing uh, many Madonna music videos, including Borderline, Like a Virgin, and Like a Prayer. Interesting. Yes. So uh, this film is written by King. And, um, you know, based on his, I think it was a 1984 novel, Pet Cemetery, But it is kind of a... As, some, as someone uh, wrote about it once, it's like the monkey's tail, right? The monkey's paw, the the famous uh, short story about wishes and be careful what you wish for. It kind of starts where that short story ends, 
right? Right to like the, the worst wish of like trying to bring someone or something back to life. Mm-hmm. The film stars Dale Midkiff as Lewis Creed, a doctor who moves with his wife, Rachel, played by Denise Crosby, and his family to Ludlow, a small town in the most haunted of states, courtesy of Mr. King, Maine. <laughs> Maine! Yes. Uh, and... This is not a subtle horror movie by any means. As even like the first scene, which they're arriving at this house and it's a beautiful sunny day, like movie, the music is ominous, and you know you're like clearly nothing good can come of this. And and it certainly it sets up plenty of things uh, that just so that you know you know that terrible things will happen. For instance, the family moves into a house that is by a street that many trucks go by really quickly, and despite the fact that this seems like it would be a terrible place to live strictly because of that, you have noisy trucks rattling by at high speeds all the time. They constantly let their young toddler out to kind of play and wander. And they just turn their backs on him as he, you know, heads off towards the road. Mm. But it is a really interesting and frightening meditation on choosing to deal with death or not in that, uh, you know, they have a daughter, an older daughter, who is right at that point where you have to kind of have discussions with her about, like, the family pet dying, mm-hmm. say, and what that means to die, and what happens to someone after they die. And that's the start of everything going wrong, which is that the neighbor next door, who really just gives terrible advice and should, you know, they should keep away from him. But <laughs> He takes them behind this old pet cemetery to the Indian burial ground, of course, you know, the engine behind so many supernatural stories, uh, where things that are buried in the ground come back. But they don't come back like they were. They come back and something is wrong. Oh, ain't that real nice. You pulled him in the wagon. Bet he liked that, didn't he? I'm going to carry this picture, Mr. Crandall. Until God lets Gage come back. Ellie, God doesn't do things like that. He can if he wants to. I have to keep his things waiting for him. That's what I think. I've got this picture, and I'm going to sit in his chair. Ellie. First off, first there's the beloved family cat, and then there are other things. Uh-oh. Yes. This movie definitely has some very frightening images. I mean, the cat itself, it's an animatronic cat. It does not look like a real cat always. Practical special effects. Yes. But it, it's still a frightening idea, right? Your beloved family pet is there, but it's no longer the same. You know, it's malicious, and it smells weird, and it was dead. It's a zombie cat now. Um, it eats steak. At one point. Steak! Yes, terrifying. But uh, just also, I think, beyond the kind of... The the creature at the end, Mm -hmm. who there's a showdown with, who is uh, a combination of adorable and frightening, Mm -hmm. there's the the sister right uh the wife has this had this sister growing up who had the most horrific uh possible vision of a uh, spinal meningitis ever and this sister was kept in the back of the house and she had to help care for her and you the she's played by a man actually andrew uh hubatsek and 
as if like her spine is almost like popping out of the back. She's like this twisted like terror. I have no idea what actual spinal meningitis looks like, but I'm sure it looks nothing like this. It's like a really monstrous, frightening vision of. Well, you hate body horror. You don't hate it, but body it, horror. It really gets to me. Yeah, but, like, it gets I, to you. I mean, like she she like be, you know kind of gave the wife this like real dread of death um, because her the sister died in her care uh, you know as much as it's of its era it does have a lot of really kind of ideas that stick with you and uh this was a popular film at the time that yielded some sequels that no one wants to talk about but uh it does it i feel like it does despite being extremely obvious in its uh themes and foreshadowing and in its attempts to warn you that bad things are going to happen it's still a frightening film uh so that is pet cemetery it is currently streaming on netflix uh why is cemetery spelled wrong uh, because it was a children's cemetery right it was so for the pets kids so the kids bad grammar some kid put up the sign yes spooky because bad grammar is much it's, it's scarier totally frightening yes Whoa, they have frightening grammar bad grammar okay <laughs> well obviously as i suggest i haven't actually seen this one so it's uh scary scary i don't know in an pets, 80s way that's coming back to life is something i find unsettling in a way that i don't even think i want to and not in a not in a pleasantly unsettling way like in a way that i'll, I'll find upsetting i think that that's why that's why it kind of that's why it works it. Yeah, yeah yeah that's why i'm not gonna watch it no fair no enough. offense fair enough <laughs> <laughs> all right my first pick i don't think uh, you've actually seen so we're swapping movies that the other hasn't seen yet mine is also very 80s but from uh 1983 it's directed by David Cronenberg, and it is The Dead Zone, available uh, for rent, actually, on Amazon, Google Play, and YouTube. This is an adaptation of the Stephen King novel, obviously. It stars Christopher Walken in a very Christopher Walken-esque performance. He plays a guy who is in a terrible traffic accident. He uh, goes into a coma, he wakes up five years later. And he has psychic powers. When he touches people, he can he can see into the past. Uh, sometimes he can see into the future. He can sort of predict if something is horrible is going to happen to him uh, to them rather. And he uses this power in various ways over the course of the film. Uh, the movie eventually got made into it was like a TV series a couple of years ago, a syndicated series for or I guess it was on USA, USA, yeah, for a couple of years. And the movie does kind of play like a, a, a TV pilot. Actually, it's not super plot heavy. It's kind of episodic. It's it's much more about the character. Actually, there's like three or four elements of it that could become like they could have been the whole movie, like him discovering his powers. There's a part where he aids the police in chasing down a serial killer, the Castle Rock Killer. This is another town in Maine, another fake Stephen King town, Castle Rock, Maine. Uh, the Castle Rock Killer, to my surprise, is not Rob Reiner. I didn't, I thought it would be, but it's <laughs> not. So there's like a whole part where he's looking for the killer. He's helping the cops. Then there's another part where he starts helping this young boy who's very shy and withdrawn. And he kind of helps teach him. And then there's a third kind of final part that serves as the sort of climax, and I don't think it quite works, where he kind of takes an interest in this uh, rising political figure, this uh, guy who's running for Senate, U.S. Senate. And when he touches this guy at one point, it turns out that he is in the future, which he can see, again, because of his powers, he's going to like start World War III or nuclear Armageddon. So it uh, it adds this sort of 
moral question, sort of like the if you could kill Hitler, if you could go back in time and do it before he did everything he did, would you do it kind of thing? Martin Sheen uh, is the most – I mean if you if you are of a p- particular political persuasion and you believe that there are political figures out there who are just like – just shamelessly evil and hell-bent on power and – you know, believe that God has anointed them to run the country. I'm sure we could all think of a couple of people that that could be uh, in recent years. I, I, there's something resonant about the idea. The problem is that Martin Sheen is so over-the-top evil <laughs> with this big, thick accent and just so haughty. And it just doesn't quite work. And especially because the character is brought in very late into the film. You know, like within the last like half hour, he just kind of shows up and he's evil. That you kind of think, well, how could anyone fall for this shtick? It's very hard to believe. So it doesn't quite work, but the idea is really interesting. And Christopher Walken is really, really great, and certainly uh, a fitting choice for a guy who's kind of weird and withdrawn. And again, it's sort of like a superhero movie. This guy goes into a coma, wakes up with psychic powers, but instead of it making his life great, it ruins everything. I'm not a religious man myself, I'm sorry to say. But I will say this, if God has seen fit to bless you with this gift, you should use it. Bless me? You know what God did for me? He threw an 18-wheel truck at me, bounced me into nowhere for five years. When I woke up, my, my, my girl was gone, my job was gone, my legs are just about useless. Bless me. God's been a real sport to me. He had this girlfriend when he goes in the coma. He wakes up. She's married to another guy, has a kid, this whole thing. And the power is slowly killing him. And it's more curse than gift, which is, I think is a phrase he actually uses in in the movie. And that's a phrase that's in Spider-Man a lot. So uh, it's sort of a fun twist on superhero stuff, which I, of course, love. In a lot of ways, it's David Cronenberg's most mainstream film. It's not very weird. Not a lot of body horror in this one. But... It's very well made, great performances, fun script. Uh, Even though I don't love the Martin Sheen stuff, I love the ending of the Martin Sheen stuff. And I recommend it. I've seen it a few times, and I enjoy it. It's The Dead Zone. It's available for rent on Amazon, Google Play, and YouTube. Yeah, it's one I've uh, been meaning to see, but it's, you know. It's very solid. I mean, it's not not fantastic. Uh, It's not The Shining. Yeah, but it's it's very good. Yeah, it's a high up there, higher up there on the list of uh, adaptations. Of the ones I've seen, yeah, it's yeah. definitely up there, yeah. All right, well, my next pick is probably not on anyone's uh, list of the best Stephen King adaptations. It's uh, it's an oddity, certainly, but it's, it's a really, it's an interesting one. It is The Mangler, which is available for rent on Voodoo. Uh, this is one of those short story adaptations where... Uh, as I said before, there's just a very strange idea that someone's run with, and then someone else was bold enough to decide to make it into a movie. And that person was uh, is Toby Hooper, in this case, director, of course, of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He also directed the 1979 TV at a movie adaptation of Salem's Lot, another Stephen King. It was a TV miniseries, I think. Yes, a miniseries. And then his career has also been made up of all kinds of weird crap since then. Uh, This is a 1995 film uh, that he co-wrote. And I I suppose you could call it a horror comedy. It doesn't really fit in that genre, but it's kind of horror with like a bit of a a wink to it, mostly Mm -hmm. because of the premise, which is ridiculous. It's about a possessed laundry mangle 
a laundry mangle is uh, the in the small scale, in the home, the home version of a laundry mangle would be that thing that you would see in like kind of old timey, like rings out laundry, right? It, like like a you, drum? No, like a, you'd squeeze it between two rollers okay. and it would yes. squeeze the water out, yes. right? Gotcha. So this is an industrial version, which okay. they're real things. But so and you it's put haunted? like you put sheets through it yes. and then it, it kind of. Uh, squeezes out the water and like steams them and presses them and folds them. So, right. you know, it's an industrial uh, laundry machine where, yeah, like the hospital would bring their sheets and all of that. Okay. There. And it's not haunted. It is demonically possessed. It's possessed by the devil. But yes, exactly. How, and do, so, how does that happen? How does it happen? <laughs> how doesn't it happen? Yes. Uh, what's, I think what's interesting about this movie is that it. I mean, even the way the whole the whole laundry company looks, it looks just hellish. It looks actually like like a Tim Burton movie in certain ways. Mm. Like the the laundry mangle is this like gothic looking ridiculous machine, and all of these like you know local like especially women who are kind of working doing the laundry part are just kind of scurrying around in the steam and the darkness. And then of course uh, every once in a while one of them gets stuck, gets their hands stuck, and then then gets horribly mauled by uh, being you know wrung out through pressed and then you know folded into bits mm. um the the first person this happens to uh they have to put out in a basket because they're so they're such a made into such a mess you don't know how it happens what's uh, you know the movie becomes actually this not entirely coherent indictment of like industrial capitalism of laundry yeah and it, well okay so it stars ted levine as a oh, detective God. okay uh, which i think is a part the rye the rye detective is a part right. that he plays God knows people would know him from silence of the lambs um and he is uh kind of investigating the accidents that pile up and then robert england uh freddy krueger himself is oh the God. owner of the company oh my who's God. literally he has like one eye he wears glasses and one of them is blacked out and he is his legs are in braces and so he kind of stumbles around on like these like two kind of crutch crutches things and he's like the evil owner of the company and uh you know it seems to have made some kind of deal with the laundry mangle but like it's it seems to be like the major the major game in town right like everyone works there and uh it's it's a corrupt town in maine maine um that uh you know where even though even after someone's like horribly mutilated in a machine the sheriff comes around and says it was an accident you know the machine's safe and they keep going that machine killed your daughter we all have to make sacrifices human sacrifices a demon is a kind of electricity sometimes it gets out of control people get hurt three modern masters of horror have just created the ultimate machine for terror so it, it does become this weird sort of metaphor for you know like a, a town being at the mercy of this one industry even though it okay it I demands gotcha. yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah, sacrifice yeah. and like there's no kind of balance to that power yeah you know but yeah. uh it's not certainly uh, a coherent whole but really can you believe it it sounds like but it all it is, makes it perfect is a sense. really it is a really you know odd movie that uh is totally watchable about and it, it makes it manages to in having this idea that like people have to keep going back no matter what it manages to deal with the fact that a giant laundry mangler cannot move or chase people down really uh, you think it cannot move. Well, that was going to be one of yes. my questions. Um, is yes. it scary? Is the movie scary? It's 
I or do know. you just admire the fact that Stephen King makes the like? It sounds I, like it's like I the admire, finger. This no. is like weird, like the finger. I admire the weirdness of the storyline, but actually, I think that like this. I've read this short story. It's okay. not. It's like a very forgettable short story. Okay. I, I think that like uh, Toby Hooper has built out a kind of like uh, three quarters of an idea out of it. All right. That's pretty. That's more interesting than the short story. Huh. Uh, I don't. It's very brave of him to attempt to make this into a whole movie. So you're grading on he, degree of difficulty. Uh, yeah, and I don't think he entirely succeeds, but it is a really interesting movie. I, right. I you know, right. I can't deny that, even as much as it does not hold together. So that is the Mangler. It is available for rent on Vudu. Okay. Well, for my last pick, and there are we've you know we've mentioned a lot of great Stephen King adaptations, including The Shawshank Redemption, The Shining. There's a lot of really good ones. But I, I, I wanted to highlight one that's not so great that I kind of love that I just saw recently. And uh, people have been, like, recommending it to me as sort of like a so bad it's good kind of a movie. I finally got around to watching it just a few months ago. And uh, it's pretty outrageously entertaining. I'm not sure if you've seen this one, Allison. It's from 2003. It's directed by Lawrence Kasdan. This is my streaming pick because it's available on Amazon Prime. But you can also rent it on regular Amazon, Google Play, and YouTube. It's Dreamcatcher. <laughs> have you seen Dreamcatcher? I have seen Dreamcatcher. I mean, with I feel like, you know, in this YouTube supercut age, if someone took this movie, put in like a slightly wackier score and a few like fartier sound effects, this could almost be like a Zucker Brothers parody <laughs> of a Stephen King movie, except this is a real Stephen King story and Stephen King adaptation and a huge big budget adaptation at that, which is just crazy to me. Uh, it stars Damian Lewis, Jason Lee, Timothy Oliphant, and Thomas Jane. Great cast. Great cast, yeah. Super awesome cast for lifelong friends. You know, very, this is, it's just like, almost like a, it's so, it's like a hundred cliches of Stephen King all it's thrown no, it's together. Like a, it's his like mashup movie, basically. Right. They all have special psychic powers that they were given as kids by helping this intellectually disabled boy <laughs> named Duditz, who's played by Donnie Wahlberg. In a performance that suggests that he had not familiarized himself with the rules of playing intellectually disabled characters as set out by Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder. I'm being as gentle as I can about this. In addition to all, like, the psychic stuff. So they have psychic powers. There's also evil, like, military men. There are shape-shifting aliens. And there are... Uh, how can I put this without, uh, you know, going... I mean, they're like butt aliens. <laughs> They're evil alien critters that escape from people's butts when they go to the bathroom. So there's this whole sequence that's played deadly seriously, but it's hysterical, where Jason Lee is, like, sitting on a toilet trying to keep a demon alien turd inside a toilet as it's trying to force its way out. And if that isn't crazy enough, and the scene itself is just like, you're just sitting there with your jaw just dropped. If that wasn't crazy enough, and the build-up to it, which is, like, of, like like scene after scene of this one guy like his stomach being upset and like literally like stomach and like flatulence noises and all this in the dvd extras for Dreamcatcher, allison stephen king goes on record describing this scene which he was quite proud of hates the movie of the shining loves the movie of Dreamcatcher. he says and this is his quote that scene quote it's gonna do for the toilet what psycho did for the shower <laughs> Also, uh, in some of the craziest and most against type casting in the history of crazy against type casting, you have Morgan Freeman playing the psychotic power mad commander of the military unit. And you have Tom Sizemore playing the rational, heroic underling who's looking out for the good guys. 
I don't know how that happened. <laughs> how did Morgan Freeman, you know, paternal, good-natured, it, who in, you know, Shawshank Redemption plays like the ultimate Morgan Freeman sort of paternal role in Dreamcatcher. He's evil, super, super evil, while crazy Tom Sizemore is like the rational one. I don't know how that happened. Those poor schmucks. They drive Chevrolets, shop at Walmart, never miss an episode of Friends. These are Americans. The idea of slaughtering Americans. And it just turns my stomach. Someone there was like, I have a brilliant idea. Yes, they'll play against type, and it'll be great. Who doesn't want to be cared for by Tom Sizemore? <laughs> <laughs> Allison, you know how some books are described as unfilmable? You know, mm-hmm. like we say, oh, you know, L.A. Confidential, that was an unfilmable novel, and but somehow they did it. Well, on the basis of the film Dreamcatcher, I am going to call the novel Dreamcatcher unfilmable. It's just so bizarre. And I think maybe some of these ideas, they played well on the page. You know, these like alien turd demons or whatever they are probably like on the page and again i haven't read it but i can imagine that being kind of creepy on the page where your mind can take it to this very disturbing place but when it's like literalized and it's literally like these little like turd alien guys like squirming around it's just it's just totally ridiculous um it is really outrageous it does does i think it, it does absolutely have a certain amount of so bad it's goodness to it it really is so bizarre because it really is so crazy and you can't believe i mean if any other let's put it this way this is a really easy way to put it allison if any other author's name was on this material there's no way it gets made period the reason it got made is it was a stephen king book and stephen king is a great brand name for horror and that's it that's all you need to know and if it was joe schmo on it on the screenplay or on the original source material there's no way this gets made so that is Dreamcatcher. it's streaming on amazon prime and it is available for rent on Amazon, Google Play, and YouTube. Uh, and before we move on to yes. our, our main review, I yeah. did want to point out uh, Stephen King in a 2009 collection of work, I think that had been previously released, called Stephen King Goes to the Movies, uh, shared his favorite adaptations of his work to that point. Okay. These are in alphabetical order, his 10 favorites, which okay. I think say a lot, actually, about mm-hmm. Stephen King's preferences for, for movies and how his work looks. Apt Pupil, Cujo... Dolores Claiborne, 1408. 1408, right. Green there. Mile. Green Mile, okay. Misery. Misery. I like Misery a lot. We yeah. haven't mentioned that yet, really, we or maybe yet, mentioned it once. That's yeah, a good movie. It is really good. The Mist. The Mist. The Shawshank Redemption. Again. Yeah. Shawshank Redemption, great movie. Stand By Me and Storm of the Century. Storm of the Century? Yeah. Is that a movie or a TV it's thing? It's a TV miniseries. Yeah. Huh. I know. Uh, we wanted to... Uh, One thing we wanted to do in this segment moving forward is kind of incorporate some more listener feedback. And so I have one email here from a listener. And, you know, if you follow us on Twitter at FilmSpottingSVU, we always announce what the movie is that we're going to be, you know, talking about. We try to announce what the theme is going to be. So if you you follow us, you know, so you can send in your picks in advance. We'd love to share them here. So we put it out on Twitter. You know, what are your favorite Stephen King adaptations? We got this nice email from Jason in o- O'Fallon, Missouri. He actually ranked for us film spotting original recipe style, his top five. So I, I don't really care what Stephen King has to say. 
I think Jason's top five here is the one that really matters. So here's his ranking. These are not in alphabetical order. These are in order of preference, ascending order here. He's got number five, Stand By Me, one of the best coming-of-age films ever made, Jason says. That's rentable on Amazon. Number four, he's got Carrie, amazing performance by Sissy Spacek. We'll be talking about that in just a few minutes. Number three, he's got Pet Cemetery, Allison's Pick. Not a well-regarded film, but it has always creeped me out, he says. Number two, one we haven't mentioned yet, Salem's Lot. This was the TV. I think we briefly mentioned it. It yes, was a TV. Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper. It was a TV miniseries version. Jason says an edited version was released in theaters in Europe, so it counts in my book. The window scene is the scariest scene in any Stephen King movie. I haven't seen this one, so I don't know. I'm terrified just thinking about a window scene. Probably the window comes alive and eats someone. The, I don't think that's maybe what it happens, falls but... in love with a laundry machine. <laughs> they have a torrid love affair and give birth to an evil bathtub that has a finger <laughs> i don't know i'm just spitballing that's here. good i think that's yeah. uh you've got a solid novel there yeah and number one the dead zone jason's with me he says a wonderful performance from christopher walken and one of the more understated films that david cronenberg has made a classic well i certainly agree i don't know if i'd put that number one i mean the shining i love the shining but yeah, yeah the dead zone's really good you got to check that one out allison For our film spotting listener's choice review, and on our last episode, we gave you three horrifying options that were all available for instant screaming on Netflix. We had Brian De Palma's Carrie, we had Joe Dante's Piranha, and Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Pulse. It was not a close vote this time, Allison. We we predicted it actually. Carrie ran away with it with more than fifty percent of the vote. Pulse and Piranha lagging far behind with 26% and 22% of the vote, respectively. And yeah, we did kind of expect that was how it was going to turn out. For one thing, Carrie is very fondly remembered as one of the big horror films of the 1970s. It turned Brian De Palma into a major Hollywood player. It made Sissy Spacek a movie star. And it definitely elevated Stephen King's profile from, uh, you know, a guy who was writing a lot of novels to something, you know, even greater. And as the legend, and by legend I mean Wikipedia has it, King actually wrote this story, which was his first published novel. He started it, didn't like what he had written, and tossed it in the garbage. And his wife, Tabitha, actually fished it out of the garbage, liked what she read, and encouraged him to finish it. And the rest, as they say, is history. The film of the book was made in 1976. It stars Sissy Spacek as Carrie White, a teenage outsider at Bates High School, who is bullied by her peers and abused by her mother, who's a religious fanatic played by Piper Laurie. And after getting her first period and getting mercilessly taunted by the other girls at school, she discovers telekinetic powers, which come in handy after the cool kids, led by Nancy Allen's Chris and John Travolta's Billy, hatch a scheme to humiliate her in front of the whole school. Now, another reason Carrie probably got a lot of votes in our poll is the fact that, as we mentioned earlier, there is a new remake of Carrie, Justin Theaters, directed by Boys Don't Cry's Kimberly Pierce, and starring Chloe Grace Moretz from Kick-Ass and Let Me In in the lead role. So the movie is on everyone's minds again, and now we have just rewatched Carrie, right? We have not seen the new version yet. 
But what I'm wondering, Allison, having not seen the new version, but having just rewatched that old version, are there any problems or issues with the original film that you would want Kimberly Pierce to address or correct in the new version? Ah, interesting question. I, there's some very 70s gratuitous nudity mm. that's like put out right, you know, which I, I mean, there's certainly an audience for gratuitous nudity, or, you know, but I, I think that it is icky. It's icky. It's no, they're supposed to be underage. They're girls. supposed to be underage. I mean, no one looks like a teenager. Yes, they look like adult women that <laughs> yes. mitigates it somewhat, but yes. I had totally but it forgotten that. It starts off, yeah, with this pan shameless, through totally shameless. The locker room, right. That is just like, you know, like, uh, yeah. And, and, I mean, that was, I had forgotten that too. And it is yeah. surprising, like in that context. And I think, I'm assuming is not something I'm that sure is in. I'm sure there is less gratuitous <laughs> the, underage nudity yeah. in the new one. So I'm I'd sure, say, I'm sure of it. Yeah. So I'd say that. And then the kind of, there's just a, a certain amount of occasional tonal weirdness in these really goofy sequences. Um, there are the, a few, tuxedo the tuxedo trying on The scene. tuxedo trying on. And there was one other, I think that was, maybe it was like gym class or something like that, where it's like... Do, do, do. Like it's like a you know yeah like seventies score is comedy yeah. yeah the score comes out of nowhere and and, and yeah it gets and really like, wackety schmackety exactly and it does it is weird it's just it's just an odd kind of also probably not in the new version I either. would guess yeah right. not but but I was I was wondering and I I'm curious what you think of this you know. Uh, the the new film is marketed as like you know, you know her name and like uh, with the whole kind of casting like jumping ahead to prom and all of that and like her covered with blood um and i i, I just i was wondering what you thought of kind of how the movie would have to approach that burden of everyone already knowing that ending really well yeah it's such a it's such a fool's errand i mean everyone it's such an iconic movie good or bad it has become such an you know forget about the trailer spoiling it if you've ever seen the dvd box art for the original movie that spoils it too like it's you know her covered in the blood is just like on every image of every poster and every dvd so yeah i'm 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 not sure how they handle the suspenseful aspects of it so what i mean all right so what did you think going back looking at it again besides some of these tonal weird things and the probably i would say that it's somewhat problematic nudity i would say yeah what did you think overall? You think this one holds up? It has yeah. such a great reputation. Yeah. Do you think it's deserved? Yeah, I think it totally holds up. I, I just think like De Palma's kind of, um, I don't know, like his really heightened sensibilities in general. He is not one to kind of uh, really tone things down. It mm-hmm. matched really well with this story and with just the idea of like a high school mindset of just how you know giant everything can loom emotionally mm-hmm. for you. Uh, I mean, it is a movie that kind of exists at this like hysterical pitch a lot of the time, especially the scenes between her and her mother, which are just like, so, you know, like extreme, but I I do think it holds up well as much as, you know, when you have a movie like this, where bits of it have been adapted so often, especially her wide eyed look when she's using the power, you know, it doesn't, it still doesn't look ridiculous to me. I think it as overused as that has been and as, as referenced as it has been, I think there's still a lot of impact to it. And uh, I, I think, you know, it definitely does still work for me. Uh, it doesn't seem that dated. Mm. Um, I don't know. How about for you? 
you know, I have to admit, going back and looking at it again, I was a little underwhelmed. Like, really? I don't, I mean, there's great stuff in it, for sure. And, and like, the stuff that's so great in it is the reason that it's, I think it's so iconic. I mean, the ending, all the stuff with Sissy Spacek as Carrie, I mean, the powers, everything with that is phenomenal. The ending is so disturbing. And not even that scary, and I think that's part of it, is even if you know the ending, the ending is still creepy, because she is so, that look on her face... Just the way every you know the fire the the lighting just everything about it is so well done the split screens technically it's amazing that you could watch it a hundred times and every time it would be disturbing and unnerving and I love the stuff with Piper Laurie I think she is amazing she's so you know her and and Sissy Spacek their scenes together are also really creepy but I have to admit there there was some stuff about it that watching it this time. I was I I didn't I don't think it's holding up all that well and I actually felt like I mean as as kind of pointless as I do think the remake is I don't know I feel like that some of it could be maybe improved upon I mean the opening is again ridiculous and I don't want to spoil the ending but I, I watching the ending this time not the the scene in the gym but the stuff after the gym like the final confrontation with the mother and what happens after that? I was just sitting there scratching my head like, what are we even watching right now? Like, what exactly is happening to Carrie, to the mother, to the house where they are? Like, why is it happening? What is happening? I just had a lot of uh, uh, questions about all of that. And some of the – I mean, the kids, too, the, like some of the other kids in school are so cartoonishly – Like the – like. Chris, the Chris, the and and mm. and uh, you know, just uh, didn't. I, I just thought it was a little much. Mm. And I, I, you're right. De Palma always goes over the top. That's yeah. his style. It's floored. It's melodramatic, and that's what we love about it. But I have to say, you know, I would having just rewatched it, I would not put this amongst my favorite De Palma movies. Uh huh. Yeah, it's understandable. But I, you know what, I liked rewatching it this time and. There's something I don't really remember from when I first watch it, which is that Carrie's perception is also very skewed. You know, like her, the scene, like, they're all going to laugh at you at the gym uh, after this, you know, she's been hit with the pig's blood. Yes. Everything's awful. That um, you see the kind of crowd in the gym and a few people are laughing, but most people are horrified. Right. You know, it, and then when she goes to the dance for the first time, right, she's so worried but actually, everyone's nice to her. Like, it's fine. It goes fine. Like, right. you know, it's it's actually a very small group of people who've been bullying her. Mm-hmm. But that she has also kind of developed this, you know, the, she's not seeing people clearly. All she sees is persecution now. And mm-hmm. and that, that, that idea that, you know, she punishes everyone for something that uh, in the end was only a relatively, you know, small group of people were even like feeling uh, it was interesting because I think it's 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 not just the story of a bullied girl or it, it, or who's bullied by everyone, right? She's not the victim of everyone. She's a victim of like a very small group of people, and like those the, and her mother and her mother, yeah. And so I, I, you know, I liked that it wasn't so as satisfying as it is when she takes her revenge. Mm-hmm. It's also, you know. It's also not it's, it's, fair. <laughs> it's morally complicated. It's not. Yeah, absolutely. You're not just like, yeah, you're not like, yeah, get him. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I this was inevitable that this would get mentioned in the context of the new film. But I was curious, you know, now I feel like seeing this, it has resonances. It can't help but have resonances to school shootings. Sure. Uh, the, and all of these things that become, you know, unfortunately 
uh, commonplace, terrible things since then. I'm just curious how you see it as that kind of story, as a story of like bullying, being bullied and taking maybe outsized revenge. Yeah. I mean, it's an effective story about bullying. It's, I think it's an effective story about religion in some ways, but I also think, and and this is like sort of what I was kind of getting at. Maybe I didn't explain it all that well in terms of what I thought was missing. I don't really think Brian De Palma cares all that much about any of that or even about the character so much. Uh, I don't think he has all that much empathy for Carrie or I, I think he's more interested as it as a means to an end, you know, like as a means to an end of doing a really effective set piece where she loses her mind and there's split screens and effects and it's scary. I don't know. It, I think he loves I mean, that's what Brian De Palma loves to do is mess with an audience. And like the characters to me in this movie often felt like the means to an end. Like she's the means to an end and the bullies are the means to an end to get her to do what she does. And... I don't know though. I mean like he follows her after, you know, it doesn't end with her just like th- with the gym and then her mom. She also goes home and takes a bath and sits in the bathtub and is like, you know, ups- like genuinely upset about what happens. And yeah, she go- but there's also know... a little like titillation in there. Like yeah, there is in I the beginning too. So I don't know. That I, f- I feel like if that's going to be... There was a lot less gratuitousness, like in that scene, in terms of well, less. But there's a little there. I mean, and then the, the beginning too, like yeah. Well, the beginning. I mean, as we agreed, it's yeah, it's all over the place. I don't, I don't, I don't know that I would say. I don't know that Brian De Palma is the most empathetic director in no. general, but I don't think that he just. I don't think that he just uses her, and I. And I feel like Amy Irving's character is allowed a little more complication. You know, like the very idea of kind of of her attempting to pass off her status to someone else you mm-hmm. know this like uh, for for like for the night on loan to mm-hmm. be like take my boyfriend you know take kind of my place as a popular kid in a way and go to like that she attempts to con- confer that on someone else i think is really interesting and kind of a weird in, like attempt at this noble gesture of kind of making up for for what they did before right yeah and i do think you know there's something interesting and complicated to that i just think you know the character's Again, like you said, you're absolutely right. De Palma is not really an empathetic filmmaker. And to a certain extent, the the characters are props in all of his movies. I just thought, like, in this one, I, I felt it a lot watching it this time. And and not even just at the end, but just, like, the build, the, the build up to the ending is so kind of, like, eh, so middling. Like, even as you mentioned, those scenes, like, the scenes building up to the prom are, like wacky tuxedo shopping and things like that like the 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 sort of buildup of the conflict between carrie and the other kids you know that i don't it doesn't really build it's just sort of like well they have this incident in the beginning of the movie and the in the locker room that happens and then the gym teacher kind of you know is it takes revenge essentially first on the other kids and then they sort of displace their anger at the gym teacher onto carrie and that's about it i feel like there could be more there almost that it just doesn't to the extent that they go, why do they go get pig's blood? Why don't they just douse her with red paint? Why pig's blood? Why do they have to go to a, a slaughterhouse or whatever? Like, they go to a lot of trouble, Allison, to get that pig's blood. It's not like uh, the, Nancy Allen's dad is a pig farmer. They sneak in. They have to go in. They have to kill. They have to murder pigs and then they have to take the blood. It seems like a lot of work. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that was a common prank for, like, kids in a farming town back then. I guess. I mean, I think, the, I think the reason is because it's blood and there's blood symbolism. No, absolutely. Blood at the beginning, of course. Blood the ending and Jesus' of blood. Of course. Like, but I mean, if you're going to deal with like, what is their 
motivation for doing pig's blood, then you're going to have to deal with a lot of other major questions. I know. And that's, I guess, what I'm doing. Where is telekinesis coming from? In the book, it's like suddenly a phenomenon that starts cropping up amongst kids everywhere. And he's like, be careful about your kids' friends. No bullying, because they might suddenly set the gym on fire. The thing that I I didn't love in watching this uh, this time around was was the mother. You didn't like the mother. No, no, no. I just feel like... It's just it's such this it's such this over the top kind of form is, of crazy religious you know religiosity, yeah. and uh, she has so much fun with the role though. It's like that she is. I know she, she's she, enjoying herself. She definitely is enjoying. You kind of get into the fun of torturing uh, Carrie, I guess. Yeah, so but I, I just I I don't know it. It didn't balance with me, which I, I you know I thought like a lot of the scenes with her kind of especially like going to like getting ready to go to the prom and all of that had this real kind of more grounded sweetness and kind of shyness to them mm-hmm. that it was hard to reckon with with the, the mom who's like i'm gonna lock you in the religious closet again <laughs> you know <laughs> yes. like dirty pillows etc cetera, etc cetera. Yeah. um yeah so yeah the last thing i would uh say that i noticed this time that i did not notice the first time i watched it is how much carrie is is like psycho I didn't get all of the references, including Bates High School, which is clearly named after Norman Bates. You have the crazy mother, the outsider kid who's very naive and messed up about sex. The two of them cloistered together in the house. Uh, the, the music cue. The music cue, which is ripped off. Yeah, like basically any time Carrie uses her psychic powers, it's the uh-huh. the Herman violins. Absolutely. Several scenes involving enormous kitchen knives, which are used as as important props. Shower scenes, key shower scenes. I mean, the real. I mean, if Carrie was a guy and didn't have magic power, she would ostensibly be Norman Bates. All she have to do is start dressing like a girl. Instead of dressing like a girl, she is a girl. And that I just totally didn't get the first time I saw it. And this time I was just like, oh my god, he's just making his Psycho. And I know he made other movies that are like Psycho too, including Dress to Kill. But. Yeah, it was something I really picked up on in a strong way this time that I totally missed the first time I saw it. All right. Well, that is Carrie, and it is currently streaming on Netflix. Uh, let us know if you agree or disagree with our takes on this since we differ. Does it hold up? Does it not? Um, you know, shoot us an email at svu at com. Well, that brings us to our Behind the Eight Ball section in which we run through three new picks uh, that are new to streaming, uh, two listener recommendations, and one pick chosen randomly from our Netflix My List. My List. Thank you. Um, So you're going to go first, Matt. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Uh, three, Should I do the whole thing in that voice? I now? really wish you would not. <laughs> three, three new picks. Okay, let's start with In Bruges, which is available now on Netflix. It's the directorial debut, or feature directorial debut anyway, of playwright Martin McDonough. I think this is a film spotting original recipe favorite. It stars Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson as a pair of hitmen hiding out in the sleepy Belgian town of Bruges after a hit goes bad. Wonderful uh, dialogue and conversations written by McDonough. You've got some amazing locations in Bruges, beautiful picturesque scenery, and some great performances from Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, and also from Ray Fiennes, who plays their boss, who, as I recall, is both very evil and very sort of down-to-earth in a kind of likable way. He has very, like, domestic problems that kind of get in the way of his, his business. So that's In Bruges, available on Netflix. Next up, also available on Netflix, is a film called Wake and Fright. 
It's a movie about life in the outback that was considered lost for decades and then recently rediscovered and restored and then released by Drafthouse Films, who just had a bunch of their recent titles go up on Netflix. I think Allison has some, at least one more in, oh, actually, I think you have two more of their films in your eight ball segment coming up. This one is directed by Ted Kocheff, who went on to direct First Blood, the first Rambo movie. And in this film, you have Gary Bond starring as this English school teacher. He goes to work in this tiny little schoolhouse in Australia. He's on vacation. He gets stranded in this outback town, and his life just completely falls apart. Not because the outback is cruel or the people are evil, but because they're super nice and very hospitable. And it's it becomes this very interesting character study and kind of a psychological thriller uh, be warned, though, if uh, animal cruelty and violence is not your bag, some extremely disturbing kangaroo hunting sequences in this movie. So uh, they are very disturbing. But this is a very interesting movie, uh, very highly recommended by me. It's called Wake and Fright, available on Netflix. And finally, now available on iTunes and on demand, it's Before Midnight, the third installment in the Before series by director Richard Linklater. And stars Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. I know I was very sensitive about spoilers before I saw it, Allison, so I don't want to get into too much of the details about where Jesse and Celine are at this point. So let's just say it's nine years after the last movie. The story continues between the two of them in Greece. There, There's a car ride. There's a dinner. There's a walk. There's a very powerful scene in a hotel room. Uh, and that's all I'll say. Uh, probably not my favorite film in the series. Not not super high on my list of my favorite movies of the year. I've liked other movies more, but I like the movie a lot. It's a very worthy sequel. I loved catching up with the characters. As you would expect, the writing, direction, action. Action. The acting. Awesome action. God, there's a great car chase. It's <laughs> quite a change. Yeah, oh, my God. Say. When Jesse and Celine get in that car chase, <laughs> that 45-minute real-time car chase, the natural light streaming through the car windows. <laughs> so beautiful. Uh, the acting. Not the action, but the acting are all... Excellent. So that's Before Midnight, available on iTunes and On Demand. I'm uh, really excited that Wake and Fright is on Netflix. It's pretty I, awesome. I've been wanting to see it for so long. It's pretty, pretty awesome. But yeah, it's, it is disturbing. Be prepared for disturbingness. All right. Well, two listener recommendations. Okay. This first one is from Chuck Canzoneri. I hope I pronounced it right. He gave me pronunciation and I probably still butchered it. He's from Sherman Oaks, California, and he says, I would like to recommend Stakeland, now streaming on Netflix and available to rent on Amazon, YouTube, and Vudu. He gave me the whole smorgasbord of availability. I like that. He says, this is an original movie waiting to be discovered. It is a vampire apocalypse film, similar to Zombieland, but 180 degrees different in tone. The world has gone to hell, and there's nothing slick or cool about trying to survive Fighting back is the only option if you want to live, and the film doesn't flinch from showing quite a few who have opted out of life because they simply don't have it in them to survive. Uh, so that is Stakeland. I like this movie as well. I would recommend it as well. Stakeland now streaming on Netflix and rentable on Amazon, YouTube at Vudu. And we've got another recommendation here from Paul Mizzy from Adelaide, Australia. He should have recommended Wake and Fright, perhaps, but he did not. He has a different recommendation. Paul says, hey, Matt and Allison, currently streaming on Netflix is a film that could have fit in your Paris episode. Ah, it's Disney's adaptation of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Notre Dame, Notre Dame. She's a kooky dame, that Notre Dame. Uh, in my opinion, a highly underrated film, easily the most mature of Disney's animated canon as it tackles some pretty dark themes. 
It features a haunting and dramatic score punctuated with some pretty epic songs, the highlight of which is Hellfire, a song in which the villain sings about his lust for battling faith. On top of this, the the animation is absolutely stunning with beautiful detailed vistas of Gothic-era Paris. Ignore all the Jason Alexander bits and you have a near-perfect animated classic. That's funny because all the parts I remember are the Jason Alexander <laughs> bits. So that is The Hunchback of Notre Dame, recommended by Paul, and that is available on Netflix. And very quickly, we also got a, a nice email from Eric in St. Louis who also recommends Headhunters, which is an awesome Norwegian thriller, which I also recommend as well. So I gave you three for the price of two. Great. And one from your My List. My List. You gave me number 125, which is... American Horror Story, the TV series from the director of Glee. Frankly, I think he could have called Glee American Horror Story, because what's scarier than a freaking high school Glee club? Am I right, Allison? But um, I haven't actually seen American Horror Story. That's why it's in my list. I've heard it's scary and crazy and silly and wacky and fun. Allison, is it? It is. I really like the second season a lot. Do, can I skip straight to the second season? It is an anthology series. So, so I yes, should, would you, you recommend that? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Just skip uh, the first season? The first season's okay. People ha- it has its defenders, but I think the second season's much better. So I should just skip to the second season? Yes. For, well, it's good. And each season stands alone. They're okay. each a new story. So. That's cool. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of fun, too, because you inadvertently and unintentionally gave me a horror pick for our screaming video unit episode. Ah! So that's a good one that you randomly chose there nicely done thank you are you ready for your own countdown i am all right let's start with three new releases all right first up is a band called death unfortunately not uh scream worthy no it's not a horror <laughs> film but it sounds like it. um it's currently streaming on netflix this is a 2012 doc directed by mark christopher cavino and jeff howlett about the 1970s proto-punk rock band death and their kind of newfound uh, popularity and uh, you know like a lot of rock bands unappreciated at their time perhaps but this film has got uh, a bit of a searching for a sugar man vibe to it in terms of the idea of kind of looking for this artist who's now more appreciated or artists in this case uh, that's currently streaming on Netflix as is my second pick Pieta which is from the controversial uh, Korean director Kim Ki-duk. This film won the Golden Lion at Venice, which is a festival that's been giving out some interesting, weird prizing these last few years. Uh, This one is about a lone shark enforcer and a woman who shows up claiming to be his long-lost mother, not that that stops them from having some sexual contact because this is a Kim Ki-duk film and there's always weird sexual stuff and violence. Uh, And this one is no different, but it's divisive to say the least. Currently streaming on Netflix. And my third pick is Welcome to the Dollhouse, which is newly on Crackle. Todd Salonza's second film, 1995, starring Heather Matarazzo as Don Wiener. It is still just breathtakingly cruel and funny, and it never softens, even when it seems like it has to, which is something I admire very much. Uh, it, it's a great... Uh, great. You admire cruelty. I do. And suffering. As long as it's funny. Um, uh, I, I do really like it. And I, I think it's one that also holds up really well. Welcome to the Dollhouse is on Crackle. All right. How about two listener recommendations? All right. The first one we have is from Evan, 
who kind of has a handful of recommendations. He writes, this past week, I've been streaming many early Jackie Chan titles made while he was in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. I've been get- doing this too, actually. I got an, uh, I, there are a lot of them on there. Go ahead. Yeah. If you can get past the dreadful dubbing, he yeah, writes, so bad. these movies carry the charm we have come to know from his American releases, except that he is the main character. The plots are also absurd, but I will wade through just about anything to watch his ac- action scenes. And seeing him young is a nice treat, too. Here are a few on Netflix. Super Cop, which also features Michelle Yeoh doing her own stunts. Operation Condor is a blatant Indiana Jones ripoff, but is pretty entertaining. And Project A and Project A2 are goofy police movies with, of course, fun action. So there are a few for you on Netflix. It's a good one. And Chris writes, in honor of October, I recommend Event Horizon, a film that is filled with pure craziness and has to be seen by any film lover. That one is on Netflix, and I would agree. It's one that I am fond of in all of its space madness uh, and craziness, and also inspired a song by a band called 357 Lover. And it's, it's as, as any film <laughs> salute song goes, it's, it's pretty solid. I, I recommend looking it up. Okay. And how about one uh, random film from your my list? You gave me number 25, uh, which is well, a lot of these high ones. They're ones that have been sitting around for a long time. And then this, in this case, it is The Brother from Another Planet, uh, which is the 1984 John Sayles film starring Joe Morton as an escaped alien slave who ends up in Harlem. And uh, kind of involves some commentary on race as well as New York in that era. And uh, I've not seen it. Been meaning to. And someday, someday I will. All right. Well, before we get to our listener's choice options for our next episode, we are going to steal just shamelessly. Just I'm going to give total credit. We're just going to totally steal an idea from another podcast that I listen to that I'm a fan of that I've been listening to a lot lately. I've been going through their archives a podcast called The Flop House. Allison, have you listened to The Flop House? I have not. Oh, it's a great, I've great, heard of it. Yeah, it's a, yeah. Great, it's a great podcast. It's these three guys. Uh, they're you know just hilarious guys. They watch bad movies, which you know we have been known to enjoy ourselves, and they kind of just pick them apart. Uh, but what sort of separates it from other shows like it is that these guys are really smart and also very knowledgeable about movies. Uh, at the end of every episode, they recommend good movies. So you know, like they talk about bad movies, they make fun of bad movies, but they, they've got some legit film uh, film nerd cred as well. So it's a great podcast. It's super funny, super smart, very highly recommended. The Flophouse Podcast. Uh, as I've been going through their old episodes, I found one where they did this contest, which I thought was so brilliant. I'm just shamelessly stealing it. I give them full credit. But we're going to do it because I think it's a great idea. So the idea is we are going to run a contest, and the winner of this contest is going to get to pick – the movie we review on a future episode, not the next one. We're going to, because, you know, it wouldn't work time-wise. But uh, potentially, like, on two episodes from now, they will get to pick. You can pick any movie that is available to rent on Amazon or iTunes or one of those websites or streamable on Netflix or Hulu. Anything at all that we haven't already done. I'll say that. So we don't want to re-review Carrie, for example. I'm not satisfied. Review it again. Take another look. Atlas Shrugged. Go back. <laughs> There's more there. You guys missed it. <laughs> so basically, any movie that's like commercially available that we can just instantly get somehow that we haven't done, I, I don't think there's any other qualifications, right? No, I can't think of any. I'm sure it'll come, out, come to we'll us find when something. someone does something yes. very difficult. Right, exactly. Yes. So yes. basically, anything that we can rent or stream within reason, one person we're going to pick from random. And here's how you enter. Basically, 
log on to iTunes and give us a review. I'm not going to tell you you have to give us five stars. You can call us hacks if you need to. I'd prefer you didn't, <laughs> but I'm not going to be picky. But go and leave us an iTunes review. Tell us, you know, say, say that we're the best podcast you've ever listened to or something. Right. That we've changed your life uh, or something. It's, yeah, our voices are dulcet and wonderful. Or something. And, you know, whatever you want to say. I'm not going to put words in your mouth like Matt and Allison are the greatest critics uh, of this or any age. But, you know, just leave us any review on iTunes, basically between the days of October 21st and November 2nd. I'm going to go on iTunes. Any review that's up there with those dates, I'm going to – we're just going to pick one at random, and that person will get to pick, within reason, like we said, any movie for us to do Listener's Choice. And you'll help us out by leaving a review there, which is always good for us in terms of iTunes placement. Like I said, it's shameless. This is blackmail. Just shamelessly blackmail to get some more reviews on there. But – you know, we always do a listener's choice anyway. This is still going to be a listener's choice. It's just going to be one particular listener's choice. That's the only difference. Uh, so that should be a lot of fun. Again, you've got to enter that review b- uh, between the days of October 21st and November 2nd. So uh, please give us a review and good luck. And uh, I'm very curious to see what people will pick. I wonder. I have no, I have no idea. Again, could be anything. Okay, so with that said, let's move on to our listener's choice options for our next episode, because we've got to have something in there. We're going to go with uh, three new options. We had three older titles last time. We're going to go back to the newer options, starting with Blue Caprice. This is available now on iTunes. It's directed by Alexander Moores, and it stars Isaiah Washington, Tim Blake Nelson, and Joey Lauren Adams. And this is a drama based on the story of the Beltway Sniper from a few years ago. That's the uh, character played by Isaiah Washington. Got great reviews on the festival circuit, this film. Got great reviews when it came out in theaters and limited release. It's supposed to be fantastic. I haven't seen it, but I've been really looking forward to. So I, uh, I threw this one in there because I shamelessly, selfishly wanted to see it. So you haven't seen this one yet either. I have Allison, not, right? no. Got great reviews. Isaiah Washington's supposed to be fantastic in it. It's supposed to be his comeback vehicle after a few years wandering through the wilderness. The, wilderness. <laughs> the Hollywood wilderness. And uh, yeah, I'm really, really curious about this one. It's called Blue Caprice, and it's available on iTunes. All right. Our next choice is also available on iTunes. It is The Dirties. And it's actually, it was requested by one of our listeners, Keith. I will read his, uh, his pitch here. Can I please submit The Dirties, or more accurately, Kevin Smith Presents The Dirties? That was what really sold me. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Sign me up. As a film you would consider reviewing, here's a quick sales pitch before you shut the door on me. Looking for a film that divides viewers into agitated love-hate camps? This film's for you. If you're looking for a short film at 90-ish minutes, and aren't we always, keep uh, talking. this has got that too. Looking for another opportunity to espouse your found footage is dead or is alive argument, depending on your experience. (laughs) This film could help you further beat that dead, dead horse. In closing, I just watched this film, and if I was sitting at the end of a bar and noticed one or both of you walk in, and if I worked up the courage to approach you to discuss one film right now, this would be the film I would attempt to have an awkward conversation with you about. For those reasons, and maybe just two or three others not listed here, I would like to submit this film for the Listener's Watch poll. You have done it, Keith. I'm in, in part because we are both also curious to see yes, this. Yes, we are film. curious. We've heard about it as well. We are curious. It has gotten some very you strong know, reactions. Strong reactions. Yes. I think Keith said it perfectly. 
You know, if he if he had waited and entered the contest, he, he could have just, just forced it upon us. Right. But he That's... wrote such a great and convincing email that we throw it in there as a choice. So he, he has a chance to get his wish. Yes. Depending on how, you know, he could, he'd have to go on, he should go on uh, social media and really campaign, I right. guess, for he's, it. Yes, he's placing this choice in your hands. That's right. So that is The Dirties. It is available on iTunes. Okay. And our last option, also available on iTunes, is an all iTunes episode here, is Haunter, which is directed by Vincenzo Natale. And it stars Abigail Breslin. This is the plot description. The ghost of a teenager who died years ago reaches out to the land of the living in order to save someone from suffering her same fate. And I don't know a ton more about the movie beyond that. Vincenzo Natale, Abigail Breslin, and that plot description. It's played some festivals. This one didn't get as strong and as positive a reaction as the other ones. But Allison and I were really big fans of Splice. Yes. Vincenzo Natale's last film. And that film didn't get great response or reception generally either no and we really like that one so we kind of feel like we might like this one in spite of everyone else's reactions too because that's what happened last time why couldn't it happen again yeah and i just like him as a director yeah we like we like him a lot cube i'm not a big cube (laughs) fan but i love splice i think splice is one of the great underrated horror films of the last couple years a lot too and so i've been very curious to see this one so why not we're gonna throw that in there and you know it's still halloween time ish it's the season, so, you know, it fits in there as well in that way, too. So that is Haunter, and that is available on iTunes. So which movie should we review on the next episode of Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit? You can send your pick to SVU at filmspottingsvu.com, or you can enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. And your vote has to be received by Monday, October 28th at noon to be counted. And after that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, which is at FilmSpottingSVU. And you'll have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on next week's episode, which will be on Tuesday, November 5th, or in those environs. <laughs> FilmSpottingSVU is also where you can find our show archive, as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the show. The Film Spotting SVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal, and you can listen to more of Vince's work at VinceVandal.com. We'll be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the review you pick. In the meantime, you can follow Allison and I on Twitter, at Allison Wilmore and at Matt Singer. And you can follow the show one more time at at FilmSpottingSVU. That's where we announce the winner of our listener's choice. That's where we share more streaming suggestions from SVU listeners. That's where we solicit more feedback. Again, we would love some more feedback about whatever our theme is going to be on our next episode. We announce it on that Twitter account. And we'd love to share more feedback on the show. So again, follow us at FilmSpottingSVU and email us SVU at FilmSpottingSVU.com. And don't forget to leave us those iTunes reviews. You can pick. You can pick. You will be in charge. We will be at your mercy. <laughs> you wanna, I don't even want to suggest something bad because someone yeah, will make us do it. it. Don't do but it. Don't anything, give them ideas. The world will be your oyster. You'll be drunk with power. Yes. Make sure you get those iTunes reviews in so we can pick a winner and have them choose our listener's choice. And in the meantime, for Film Spotting SVU, I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.